Hello and welcome to Scriptcast Conversations. I'm your host, Allison Malden. Today I'm talking to directing and screenwriting duo Ruckus and Lane Skye. Lane and Ruckus are the brilliant minds behind The Devil to Pay, a beautifully tense Appalachian thriller starring Daniel Deadweiler. They also co-wrote 2020's Becky, a gory thriller that really cast against type with Kevin James, Joel McHale, and Lulu Wilson. And if you're up for subtitles, their crime drama Rattle the Cage was actually produced in the United Arab Emirates and is now available on Netflix. Check out the show notes in your podcast player for links to all of these nail biters, but feel free to keep listening because this conversation is spoiler free. I always want to see Brisket. <laughs> and Uncle Frank. He's oh. sleeping, so. But yeah, so um, I want to talk about like where you're from and just kind of uh, how you got into this and that will just set us up for, you know, all the background. We don't have to go too deep, but. Um, well, we um, met, we were both living in Atlanta and we met and dated and got married. And there was a, many years there well before we ever were writing screenplays together. We like to say we accidentally became screenwriters because that's really kind of true. Accidentally? Yeah, it started right after we got married. Um, we were kind of in a transitional period figuring out what we wanted to do with our lives. And uh, Ruckus started working in production um, and an internship. And that got us started thinking about, oh, well, we should shoot our own stuff. And so we just started writing things so that we would have things to shoot because you can't just shoot nothing. And then we got really into the, the writing process together. Yeah, well, uh, we eventually decided that we wanted to be filmmakers above and beyond. Like, that was what we wanted to do was be directors making films on set. And it wasn't even that we cared at first that it had to be stories that we wrote, but we didn't have access to, to scripts that anyone else had written. And so we just kind of started writing our own stuff. Um, but the reason I say accidentally is fast forward, we wrote a script, which at a certain point started getting attention and eventually got purchased and made and that script got us work as screenwriters but that was not why we wrote it that was never our intention we didn't write we didn't do the classic thing well let's write a spec and go sell it and then become screenwriters and that was not what we um set out to do so we were as surprised as everyone else <laughs> <laughs> yeah we had entered it into a couple of competitions to try and just get a little more traction for the film we were trying to get made and it it got in a couple places and then it Right here, and then it placed on the blacklist um, website, and so we were on the front page of that for a while, and that that got us our manager and kind of got us started in the industry. Can we back up and correct that because it sounds like it sounds like we made it on the blacklist, which is a I bit... said the blacklist website. No, I just I it's it's confusing, and I don't want to sound like we're bragging about something that didn't happen in real life. I actually think this is a good point to talk about because I think lots of people get those mixed up. I mean, maybe not people who are submitting their scripts to the back blacklist, but for any casual person, you know, what what is the difference exactly? I mean, I have submitted scripts for feedback, and then I know that, that the blacklist website has a hosting thing where I guess people can read your script, but I don't think people really ever read mine. Uh, so what? What is the difference? The blacklist, the annual blacklist, which when you say blacklist, that's what everyone thinks of and uh, who don't know about 
the website. That had been around for a long time, and our none of our scripts ever got anywhere near the annual blacklist. <laughs> but, <laughs> but about the time we wrote Rattle the Cage, which is the script I'm talking about, is when the blacklist launched the website, which was the script hosting thing that you're talking about. Mm. And you pay to have your script hosted, and then people that have... Um, access to that which are industry insiders and they don't just not anyone can read them you have to prove that you have some sort of job in the industry or some sort of you know you're of some note enough that you can get films made um and so anyways so we we had just finished that script and we put that up there and so we were one of the first early people to even have scripts submitted to it um but it got rated very highly very quickly and um I think within three weeks, we got an email from um, our manager or the woman who is now our manager and still is eight years later, um, directly from that website. And uh, then not that long later, we got an offer to buy the script. We got a lot of offers to buy the script or option the script. But at that point, it was still our intention to direct it. So we said no to all of them. But then we got an odd offer um, from a director in... Um, was he in Dubai at the time? Abu, Abu Dhabi. Uh, who wanted to buy it? We said, no, we're buying it. And then anyway, so Image Nation offered to buy just the Arabic language rights to the film, which was, we couldn't think of a reason not, we basically tried to think of a reason not to, and we couldn't think of one because we still owned the language, English language rights. So we said yes, and they sold it, and that film got made, I think, in 2005. That sounds right. Yeah, it ended up being the first... No. Yes. God, that's too long ago. 2005? No. Yeah, that was too long that's ago. That's too long ago. We're telling the story We're telling terrible. We're telling the story terribly. I think it was 2015. <laughs> yeah, add 10 years to that. <laughs> uh, and then it premiered at a Fantastic Fest in Austin. and. Um, what I was going to say is it ended up being the first genre film in the UAE that was ever made, which is kind of cool. It's kind of kind of historic. Yeah, yeah, it only made, I think, dramas up until that point. And this was like a straight kind of American-style thriller. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah, so it was cool. <laughs> it's cool to be part of that that history. Um, and then the film is, is available worldwide on Netflix, too. So it's just kind of cool that anyone can stream it from anywhere now. Oh, yeah, that is really cool. And now that I have figured out how to switch from dubs to subtitles, I'm a lot more comfortable watching foreign films on Netflix. So, I have yeah, to check I, it hate, out. I hate dubs. Dubs are the worst. Oh, they're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is a good segue because you mentioned genre writing. And um, I don't want to offend anybody, but I think it's it's not super unusual to find low-budget genre films a little corny or campy and I just watched Becky which is your most recent film not that you directed but that you wrote and the dialogue is so good and like natural and uh, playful it's not you know it's not like super naturalistic but it's it just sounds good and I was thinking this could have easily been like a cheesy action 
slasher thing with and they could have easily given her like a catchphrase <laughs> that she said every time she kicked ass you know and so I just wanted you to talk a little bit about writing naturalistic dialogue in a heightened setting and like what's your process do you read it out loud do you have table reads etc hmm. um that's a really good question I think you know, most of what we write is like heightened stuff. So that's just kind of where our taste lies. Um, but I think for dialogue, it's really important to for it to have like a musicality to it. So when you're writing it, you can hear the rhythm of it and it sounds pleasant to your ear. Um, and then, you know, when I'm writing just by myself, I'll always say it kind of whisper it to myself it's super creepy mm. like if you're in the room with me I'm just like <laughs> sitting there staring at the screen whispering to myself but just even hearing that small amount of it in my ear helps uh helps me feel it in my mouth and like know whether or not it's natural and we mm. have done um table reads we didn't do it for Becky but for our own stuff we've definitely done table reads in the past and that that always helps to hear it out loud for sure mm. yeah we've been on on sets for things that we've written and um, the actors, you know, sometimes will have trouble saying the words, and we're just, and we're like, who wrote this? <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's pretty easy to read something, and it sounds great, but if you uh, if you have to say it out loud, you're like, oh yeah, that that's not easy to. Well, did either of you have uh, acting experience before, or did you have to learn what what sounds real and natural? Um. I mean, I was in drama in high school, but I don't think that counts. <laughs> uh, no, we're not actors, and we uh, don't have any intention of being actors. There's a reason we're behind the camera. <laughs> um, I don't know. I did. I think just we like the rhythm of how people talk, and we like uh, making characters talk. That's it. <laughs> Not yes. not very insightful uh, way to say it, but uh, I just re really love a really juicy dialogue exchange that has some drama to it. It's just fun, um, especially once you know you're on several passes in and you're really refining how each character talks differently from the other characters. And um, but you know one of our favorite stuff is when one of the characters can throw back at the other one something they said, you know, a half an hour ago. Love stuff like yeah. that, you know. And that's the kind of stuff well, it's like that you get on the second or third or fourth pass of a script, you know. And, mm. and sometimes we'll model dialogue after things. Like um, in Rattle the Cage, a lot of the uh, the villain's, like, dialogue comes from the way that we talk to our cats. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. <laughs> like, just that passive-aggressive, like, try and entertain yourself, but also kind of sadistic way of speaking uh -huh. to some... Yeah, so uh, that kind of stuff can help, too, just to draw from, like, a specific aspect of your own personality when you're thinking of someone's dialogue. Like, how do I talk to my mom? How do I talk to, you know, my creepy neighbor? You know? Mm, that's so true. <laughs> we, still t we still tons of stuff from our friends and family. And oh, yeah? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And uh, I usually tell them when I do, or at least my friends. <laughs> Maybe not our family. I can imagine that they're pretty psyched to be the inspiration for a character. I mean, or, you know, even just a line. One of my favorite things in Becky is um, 
my friend, his last name is McGill, and um, but it's spelled M-A-G, not M-C. And so people have been telling him his name has been spelled wrong his entire life. So anyways, the um, the weird scene in the uh, convenience store where, with the family reunion t-shirts, it's, it's McGill <laughs> family right. reunion. Yeah. And that's what that is. It's my friend. Um, so, and especially when you're not directing, it's like you put that stuff in there and who knows if they're going to change. Yeah, I kept waiting for the directors to go, oh, I'm going to change the name to this or whatever, you know, which is totally fine because it's their movie. But uh, that stuff like that is fun when it makes it through. And you're like, okay, cool. Um, even on set, one of the, uh, Becky says, uh, the neighbors, the Griffins, that, that's my grandparents were the Griffins. And, uh, I remember even being on set and one of the producers, we happened to be there during that scene. He goes, the Griffins, are we, re- is that the name we're using? <laughs> <laughs> and he said that to me, no one else around that he said that to me. And I just like, didn't reply and he, wa- he walked away and we, j- it was in the movie. <laughs> I mean, it's a name. I don't see the problem. Well, yeah, I didn't. I didn't quite understand the. It didn't bump me when yeah, I watched it. it. Did, but I was like, <laughs> I kept waiting for him to change it, and he he didn't say we need a different name, so I just left it because it's my grandparents. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you guys know who the cast would be for Becky, or were you writing kind of not blind, but just not knowing? Sure. Yeah, I think first we should make it clear that uh, this was not our original script. Um, a guy named Nick Morris wrote the original spec script, which got purchased by the producers. And then mm-hmm. they brought on the two directors to direct the film. And then the two directors asked for us when they wanted to rewrite. So that's how we got okay. we got cut on board. So um, there was definitely a lot of work done by Nick already. And we just kind of ran with it. Um, but uh, Lulu Wilson, who played Becky, was on board when we got mm-hmm. hired. So that was actually the first time we've got to write knowing a specific actor was going to be doing a certain character. So that was a lot of fun. Of course, Becky doesn't have a ton of dialogue, um, <laughs> but it was it was fun knowing we you know we watched all all the stuff she had been in and knowing what she was capable of and and, and writing with her in mind was a lot of fun. And we uh, we have a friend who had a thirteen year old daughter, and so we had dinner with them just to hear because we don't hang out with kids that much. So just to hear like how a thirteen year old talks i don't know that a lot of that ended up in the movie but it was just good to like hear that voice you know when we were actually writing having an example of what you know a 13 year old girl sounds like and then so that was the first time we got to do that then of course the devil to pay which is the film we wrote and directed um we we wrote all those parts for our friends um we didn't know they were going to do the film, but we wrote we wrote them with a mind. And everyone we wrote, not every single role, but most of the roles, the big roles. And fortunately, everyone we wrote a role for agreed to do the movie and is in the movie. So, But especially Danielle, we wrote that film for her to star in. And again, didn't tell her we were doing that. We just handed her a script and said, by the way, we wrote this. I hope you'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. Yeah, it worked. But but that that was a case of we were with all of them we were familiar with things they had done in their past and we knew we were writing in the zone of things that they could pull off not not that they had done that specifically before but we were familiar with them and knew they were capable of that and so um, that was that was fun to do and but there were a couple of roles that we didn't know who it was going to be which is a different also fun but a different challenge yeah well let's talk about. Um... Uh, Lulu and uh, Danielle, who were the protagonists, and so Lulu um, Wilson. Yes, Lulu Wilson in Becky, and Danielle Deadweiler in The Devil to Pay. 
And I, when I was watching both of the movies, it's been a couple months since I saw The Devil to Pay, but it feels like there's, you know, a thing, a theme of of rage or you know, female violence. It's very different for the two of them. I was thinking about Becky as like it's I I love seeing a young girl get in touch with her rage and her power and like. Which, by the way, I get so annoyed with teenage characters sometimes because they're often written really obnoxious and, I guess, precocious, but worse than precocious, just, like, unbearable teenage characters. And I, and while Becky had a ton of attitude, she didn't get on my nerves and she didn't, like, she felt relatable to me. Um, then I was thinking about, in contrast, you have... Uh, in The Devil to Pay, you have a woman who's almost like not, she didn't seem to be acting out of rage. She seemed to be caught in a system where she had to use the tools of the system against itself in a way. So I don't know. I was just, if you want to riff or, you know, talk about your thoughts on rage about women and violence and what you were thinking about as you were writing those. Yeah, well, like Rekha said, Becky kind of was already a script that existed, but one of the things that appealed to me about rewriting it was this female character of that age and the amount of rage that she had built into what she was doing, because I don't know if you remember being that age, but I, I had a lot of anger, you know, at that age, and I didn't know what to do with it, and if, you know, I hoped that I would never be in a situation like Becky, but I, I like, often fantasized about violent acts. Um <laughs> you know, in a healthy way. Uh, but I think that women in general have a lot of ability to protect themselves and a lot of just anger that doesn't get expressed. Um, and I thought that both, both of these films, I mean, uh, Lemon, uh, Danielle Deadweiler's character isn't really mad. She's really just kind of reacting to, she's trying to play by the rules and continuing to try to play by the rules. And it just isn't, working for it's a broken system i think the big intention with the devil to pay was that at every point she does everything she can to not be violent and she goes out of her way to not be violent she gives everyone a chance to walk away literally and (laughs) when they don't they force her hand but it's that's a much it was a much different script than becky where it's we knew we were building to her doing this that was never in question the devil to pay well hopefully the question the whole time is is she going to be violent is she going to have to do that or can she avoid it which is what she's trying to do and even more so with her son koi is the challenges we she spends the entire movie trying to not let him ever know the danger they're in which is that you know a whole separate challenge um so that it was a fun that was fun to write yeah, I guess in a way they're both women who are a little bit innocent at the beginning of the film and come to a reality about the amount of violence that's necessary to survive in their worlds, um, for whatever that's worth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm I'm interested in how uh, women and girls learn to assert themselves because most of us are not given a practice at that, and we're kind of taught that we have to be able to fend off men or boys who will want to 
do things with us and to us. And yet, culturally, in our families, so often, I mean, I won't speak for everyone, but I think it's very common for girls and women to have that conditioning of go along to get along, be polite, um, just don't make waves. And then when you get out in the world, how are you supposed to do the things you have to do to stay safe, to not get walked all over if you haven't had that practice? So that's what I was thinking about when I was walk watching Becky, especially, is just like how good it is for young women to see characters doing those things. And it does, obviously, it doesn't mean teen girls are going to become violent killers. But even though Becky is definitely justified, it's just, I don't know, it's just uh, almost a catharsis, I guess. Yeah, for sure. One of my favorite movies growing up was Red Sonia, which was part of the Conan the Barbarian series, but it was like a female swordsman. And my dad bought me this like barbarian chest plate and sword, and I was a warrior princess for a long time. <laughs> so <laughs> just seeing characters like that who are asserting themselves and strong and able to take care of themselves, I think that's definitely important to see at a young age. Yeah, for sure. Um so let's transition to my last general topic for you guys, which as, as a duo, I'm so, I know you must get a lot of questions about writing as a duo, um, but the thing I'm kind of most curious about is in your like internal processes, when you're thinking about the characters or building the story in your minds how much of it happens internally with like daydreaming and fantasizing and those kinds of things and how much of it or does it all happen out in the open between you two hmm. well i think when we're concepting and breaking the story almost everything is out loud in the room together um i think it's just yeah it's just tons and tons of conversation and seeing where the overlap is and what we're thinking. And I think the internal thinking and contemplating happens more in the actual writing of the pages of the scenes themselves. Um, so we, we break everything together and work together until we have like, you know, classic note cards on the board. And um, we think we know where the story is. And then once we start writing, we'll usually write a treatment. Um, and then the script, but once we're actually writing, we're in separate rooms, just rewriting each other. And that's the part at which probably is the more internal deep thinking. But at that point, hopefully we're on the same page because we've broken the story altogether. Yeah, and I think it depends on the idea because there's definitely been at least one idea that I brought to the table that I had spent a good amount of time working on and I'd written a short story based on it. and had kept coming back to it as an idea that I wanted to expand and, um, and then developed it with ruckus. Like we, we sat in the room and figured out how it would work as a, as a feature, but it was definitely an idea that I'd spent a lot of time thinking about on my own, um, first, but yeah. And then there are definitely moments where we get in the writing process will, or in the, in the breaking process, we'll get to a point where we don't know what to do. There's like an impasse. And I'll often go outside and like get real quiet and, and sit by myself until I can figure out, 
you know, I'll just have like a yellow notepad and scribble stuff down until I can figure out something to pitch him and then we'll come back and figure it out together. But it's definitely a mixture of both. Yeah, I don't, um, she does that all the time and usually she comes back with the solution and, um, that, that almost never happens to me. I need to be in the room and, and have something to react to. And most of the ideas that suddenly come to me are, she says something and that makes me think of something else. And it's not really what she said, but I suddenly think of something in a different way. And then I, I have to say it out loud real quick before I lose it. So that, so we, yeah, the little sparks, we have a very different process of doing that. And, and over the years has been trying to learn and understand that so that we don't get in each other's way when that's happening, you know, she knows when I get an idea, it's okay to let me kind of babble for a minute so I don't lose it. And then I know when she goes off on the porch with the notepad, I'd leave her the hell alone so that she can <laughs> solve all our problems. <laughs> uh, one other thing we do all the time, especially when we're breaking the story and cracking the story, is, is when we're in the room together and we're not sure what to do, or we have, okay, what, you know, what's her motivation in this scene? Why is she trying to do? And we don't have a solution is we'll set a timer, say for 12 minutes. And then we sit in the room together separately on a document or on paper. She writes and I type and we just brainstorm a bunch of ideas. The timer goes off and then we just spit all the ideas out no matter how bad they are. And usually about three timers is the most it takes to solve something. Yeah. And we do that how all the time. The timer? Uh, it depends on what it is. Usually like, well, it depends on what it is. If it's just a quick idea, five minutes. But if it's something more complex, maybe 10. Yeah, I think we do, well, we'll do that to come up with names for characters. All right, first names for this character, seven minutes. And then about three timers in, we've decided. Then, okay, the last name, you know? And so, um, but like bigger problems, we'll set a timer. But it's kind of crazy. It's, It's a very structured thing, but it forces you to do a certain thing. We can sit there and just talk out loud in a circle and never accomplish anything. But by doing that little kind of thing it forces you into a different mindset and we solve things all the time doing that you know and just talking about it i think it is a combination of the way that both of us work because i need quiet to come up with ideas and so when we set that timer i have that quiet time and then when we talk them out together we're bouncing ideas off of each other and then ruckus gets that like being able to talk it out time together so i think it's it's probably why it's so successful for us yeah we were we were on a call a zoom call the other day with a producer and first project we're writing currently and um a friend of his who had just read the script and was trying to give feedback because we were all stuck on something we couldn't come to and someone said something i don't even remember exactly and suddenly i had a new angle on it and i had to be like everyone shut up (laughs) i had to like because it's a zoom call everyone shut up i have to say this and i said it out loud and everyone was like ah and then that is literally that was the little spark and that's what we ended up writing. I mean, there was a lot to it beyond that, but that was what ended up solving it. Um, but it all happened right then in the moment and you just have to like capture that. Cause if I hate the worst, we both have done this over the years where we're like, I had an idea I was going to tell you and then I forgot it, you know, or whatever. Yeah, that's the worst feeling. I love the idea that you guys write thrillers and you're literally writing with a ticking clock. Like there's something so right about that. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, it's just, hey, Siri, set a timer. But, uh, but yeah, we need, we should actually get one that literally ticks. Click, click, click. <laughs> that would be more dramatic. With like a, that looks like a bomb. Yeah, why don't they make like, you know, meditation soundscapes? They make like falling rain and waterfalls. They should make a ticking clock. I'm that sure they totally do. I'm sure relaxing. there's like antique, <laughs> antique grandfather clock in the foyer. That's a the really nice sound. 
It's like, how much anxiety do you want to feel? Do you want the grandfather clock or do you want the bomb timer? Right, right. <laughs> this is a great app idea. Totally. So let's talk about um, what you're working on now. And you don't have to go into specifics if it's, you know, like top secret, but like what's great about it and what's hard about it. Hmm. Um, well, we just finished writing a horror film that's like a straight up exorcism film. Um, and I think what I really enjoyed about it was we found a really strong character arc from the beginning. And so we were able to like, we knew where we were headed and we're able to kind of build the whole story off of this arc that came together in a very cathartic way. But what was challenging was getting that act three catharsis to really hit right like we knew what we needed to do but getting all the elements to line up right and like really hit emotionally the way that we wanted to hit was took a lot of tweaking yeah we wrote um that was a um story the some of the other people involved kind of had the story but they didn't have a they hired us to write the actual screenplay so it was almost felt like a bit of a book adaptation it was like here are the kind of the kind of broad strokes of where they want to go and the big part of our pitch to get the job was here's how we see this character the character arc and that was everyone was like yes so that was um that was kind of our way in but even even when we wrote the treatment out we got to the end and said and then this happens here's his arc and the producer kept going why and we're like i don't know yet <laughs> but we'll i promise we'll figure it out when we write the script and we did, but it took a very long time. And this is just to say they're not always super easy. We wrote, we rewrote Act 3, I don't know, six or seven times, like page one blank Act 3s in completely different directions. Uh, that was the project I just was telling you about uh, that we had the Zoom call and suddenly the big new angle on. Because up until then, the first six rewrites of that were variations on the same angle and this other one was like a completely different new direction that got to the same result but in a completely different way and i'm have to be very ambiguous about um but um now i've lost thread of what the question was <laughs> what was oh, the, the challenges yeah, the challenge. oh yeah so that's that was probably the biggest challenge is is trying to nail that we knew literally down to the line of dialogue that would show that his arc was complete we, we knew we were building to that but it just getting it to land right was just so tough um, and every script is different. Other ones, that's like been the least difficult part of it, you know. What was the the thing that unlocked it for you? Did it come from character? Was it an outside plot thing? I can't remember the exact thing. We. Um, some. It's hard to say. I mean, it's just going to be so ambiguous because we can't talk specifics. Oh, but now I remember. Mm -hmm. it was. Someone involved wanted things to happen a certain way, and I was very opposed to it because it made me, as an audience member, I was like, I don't understand that. It, it makes me distrust everything I've just watched for the last hour. And there was a new angle on where I, I was trying to explain why it bothered me, and this other person said, um, oh, it sounds like you don't want it to happen off camera. And then suddenly I was like, that's it. I couldn't... I couldn't um, articulated before but i was like if that happens on camera i'm totally cool with that happening and suddenly everyone was like oh okay that's the pro you know it was like one of those things where sometimes it's like 
you can't, it's so hard to articulate what's bumping you about it. And once you finally can, it makes sense to everyone else. And it was literally down to that. Like I want, I couldn't stand that it happened off camera. It felt like a betrayal to the storytelling as an audience member, but seeing it on camera was, I'm totally cool with it. And then the guy who wanted that to happen was totally cool with it happening on camera. And that just kind of like freed everyone up. And it sounds like such a simple, small thing, but a, it was a grind to get to. It was, it was very tough to get to that. Yeah. Actually, I, I don't think it sounds simple or small because I think there's, I mean, you make a thousand, a million decisions when you're writing a screenplay and, and what to include and then what to make part of an unseen like exposition that there there are tons of decisions like that and it like you said every script is different and it doesn't there's no roadmap that I'm aware of I mean maybe I haven't read the right books (laughs) no no (laughs) but um I mean do you think that instinct is the best way to to you do you follow your instinct or notes are you getting notes from people I mean, I think it's both. I think instinct has to be the first thing that you rely on, right? Like, what is your taste? What is your instinct telling you about the story? When you read it, does it bump you? You know, and oftentimes I find myself, because we work together, something will bump me and it doesn't bump him. And I will sometimes suppress that. I'll be like, well, it's okay for him, but it's not okay for him. But, you know, I can't really articulate why. We'll just let it go. And then later on, it always comes up and we always have to fix it later. So listening to that inner voice when something's not quite right, um, I think is really important. I mean, that's all rewriting is to us is finish your pass. Don't look at it for a day, print it out and try to pretend you've never read this story before and read it again. And this is like, you know, oh, that's bumping me. And it totally didn't when I wrote it. But now that I'm reading it, it is. And just trying to listen to those um it's the same way with Lane. Every time we've we've feel that bump, but just kind of resist it because you know you're inherently lazy. <laughs> it always it always comes back up, whether it's from the director, the producer, or someone else. That they're all they always that'll always come up. So we've gotten to where if we feel it, no matter how much effort it is, we're like, okay, we have to address that. If we feel it, other people are going to as well. Yeah, and I think uh, perspective is also invaluable when you're, especially with your own writing, it's a luxury, but being able to step away for a couple of days or a week or a month and coming back to something, you'll see it with fresh eyes and things that, like you said, that didn't bump you before will bump you now and you can find so many more ways to make it a stronger script with just a little bit of perspective. Yeah, I think that's why this, I mean, why this process takes so long. I mean, at least for most people. Um because you're you're right like you can't or at least I can't I don't have that kind of talent where I can just cook something up in six weeks and it's fully formed maybe one day (laughs) yeah and I think you know when you are pressed for time that's when notes can give you that perspective that you don't have yourself Um, having somebody else come in with fresh eyes and read it they'll see things that you don't see and if you know if you trust them and you trust their their taste then that that can be really helpful too. Right. If you have a, a trusted friend who you, whose taste you agree with, the challenge is, is always when you're work, especially if you're working on a paid project with people you never worked with before. And it's, you try to, before you take the gig, you try to make sure, do we even have the same taste? Are we on the same page? Are we even going to agree what's good or not? You know, that's why we talk. That's what, that's why it's such a good idea just to use other movies as references. Cause 
you mention a movie you love and they hate it, it's like, okay, well, maybe this isn't going to work out, you know? <laughs> Um, because it, it is tough and we've been in positions on, on jobs where we clearly didn't see eye to eye on certain things. And it was like, whoa, was this in the moment? It always seems way worse than it, than it was, but I've definitely had thoughts sometimes where we were like, wow, man, <laughs> maybe this wasn't a good idea, <laughs> but it always works out in the end. You always figure out. And most of the time it's just like that thing earlier is one person not being able to exactly articulate what's bumping them or it makes sense what's bumping them but we don't understand how to interpret that note you know and it, it's always just asking enough questions till eventually you you can understand that and lane and i do that all the time she'll change something in a scene and i'll be like i, I have no idea what, what this even means or why are you doing this and i'll have to um you know early on i would just cut and paste my old version and put it right back the way it was drove me crazy <laughs> and she was like why are you doing that and i was like because what you're doing doesn't make sense <laughs> and i literally had to get to the she was like well, why don't you ask me what i'm trying to do and uh so i you know had we had this was just a process of learning um you know we've been writing together for i don't know what eight years now something, something like, that. like that yeah. maybe more like 10 and so we're still learning we're still refining the way we work together and try to improve on that every time so that it becomes more advantageous and more efficient because yeah because because screenwriting is incredibly inefficient and no matter <laughs> even if you're really good at it right. it's a lot of trying stuff that doesn't work i mean you know what so are relationships so when you were when you were talking about that i couldn't help but think like that's a marriage that's a long-term relationship which is um learning how to communicate <laughs> back and forth um it, it's it's not efficient it it um yeah it takes time but and it's also like the people who are best at giving notes i think are the ones who are comfortable saying like what you said this bumps me i'm not sure why can we talk about it instead of like inventing or di trying to diagnose what they think is wrong and I mean that can be helpful but I think leaving the door open for a conversation about it is so much more helpful than being prescriptive yeah if it's like why don't you explain to me what you were hoping to accomplish in this scene the way you wrote it because as an audience member this is how I feel when I read it and I'm assuming that's not the result you're wanting so tell me what you were trying to do, and then we could talk about why maybe that fell short for me reading it. And, and then you could go, oh, I didn't realize that that was going to come across that way or whatever. Yeah, versus the worst notes are, are just like, I don't like this, do this instead. Like, that's not helpful because you don't know, there's no why in there. There's no, you know, at the very least, I want to know what you felt as, a, as an audience, as a reader or someone watching a movie. Like, how did it make you feel? And then let us interpret that note. Okay, that's not how we want you to feel. So let's come up with another solution that, that gets closer to what we want to happen. Yeah, when things get too prescriptive, it's very easy to like, okay, well, I'll do my version of that. And then you're still running up against the same problem. It's still bumping because you didn't understand the underlying issue that you were trying to solve in the first place. So yeah, we always prefer to like talk it through and really understand, you know, what's bumping you rather than how to fix it you know Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. totally it's like we have to 
work on our relationship as co-creators separately from our relationship as husband wife and it's every bit as much effort <laughs> just in a different way the overlap isn't isn't necessarily where you think it would be <laughs> it's like a whole separate and we know other uh screenwriting teams who are not romantically involved and they have to do the same thing they have to treat it like the same way you treat any relationship that you want to get better and it's i, I view it as like any other skill you're never the same you're either getting better or you're getting worse and so you have to work on getting better constantly um but yeah we have to just because we happen to be married doesn't mean that our working relationship is in the same you know sometimes that's great and we're we're mad at each other personally and we have to be able to separate those <laughs> You know, and sometimes it's the other way around. Yeah, that was going to be my next question is this, how do you church and state it? <laughs> the short answer is we don't. <laughs> it's it's very difficult and it's not easy to do. And so we just try to not like let things fester. Um, when we have a personal argument, I know one of my first thought is like, damn it. Now we're not going to write a scene. <laughs> Like, we're getting nothing written for the next two hours unless we work this out, you know? <laughs> oh, but, I mean, it's obviously, like, I mean, I, I know you're, you'll always be working on it, but it does seem like you found a really good rhythm and a really good process that works for you. Yeah, I hope so. And, you know, people are constantly changing and evolving, like no one stays the same. So the process has to change as we change as people too. So it's something that we'll continue to work on. But yeah, I, I hope that we're at least semi at a good working <laughs> method right now. Seems to be it seems to be working out okay. It does change with each script too. like each project's a little different and has a little different like you kind of just feel it out and decide what feels right for it. You know, do we need more time in the room together? Do we need more time apart? Like, you know, how, how do we work this particular project? Hmm. Yeah. And the same goes for personal relationships too. Sometimes you need to go <laughs> put a door between the two of you. I mean, I'm speaking from experience. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, time apart can be an uh, awesome thing that uh, I'm sure a lot of us are missing during the pandemic. Yeah, it's in short supply. Um, well, let's do, I, I had asked you four questions to, um, and we can go through them somewhat quickly. I think I might turn this into a bit of a lightning round, but. Lightning round. You guys, since you're my first, you're um, the guinea pigs. Um, so what are you watching these days? Uh, we've been watching this Danish uh, TV show called The Investigation that's on HBO, and it's about uh, the Kim Walls murder. I don't know if you remember a few years back with the submarine. Yeah. yeah, it's so beautifully done. Like, they do the opposite of what so many of these murder shows do, where they never, I mean, we're not no, finished I, watching it, but you don't. Will that be a spoiler to no, say what you're about to say? No, it's not a spoiler. Okay. I'm just saying that you do, they don't spend any time on the on the bad guy right you're with the investigators and the family the whole time um which is so much it's so much subtle waiting tension you know drama but without that like the sexiness of having the killer you know on camera so i think it's just beautifully done it's a beautifully done show yeah and it was um what, what's the other one we're watching um warrior 
Yeah, Warrior, which is, it's a Cinemax show, but it's also on HBO Max, I guess, is what it is now. Uh, it's a beautifully done show. It's uh, Justin Lin, who directed a bunch of action movies. I think he did some Fast and Furious movies, but it's a TV show he, he developed. Uh, it's really good. It's so good. And Yeah, it takes place in San Francisco in like the late 19th century when all the Chinese immigrants were coming into Chinatown and, and the, the conflicts between the like white affluent san franciscos and san franciscans and the the irish and the chinese and it's just a lot of like really interesting cultural and and like class struggle and but there's a lot of fighting in it that's really beautiful too yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of kung fu so it's it's a it's pretty cool it's a great show oh my gosh these are great recommendations they're like exactly what I mean, what my husband and I are looking for because we're super into documentaries lately I don't know if it's like a like because of the pandemic we've watched so much maybe we're over fed on narrative fiction um i don't know but yeah and that so but and warrior sounds like the just the right balance of like serious and fun and stylish that i'm you know not too heavy yeah it's not too heavy. there's a little yeah it's got a little you know popcorn vibe to it but it's but it's very well done and it's very rich, drawn characters, and it's it's very interesting. It's a good show. And the wardrobe is gorgeous. Yeah, the, <laughs> the set design and the art direction, and it's yeah, it's it's a well done show. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm, that's I'm adding that to my queue. Um, what have you been listening to, podcasts or music? I've been listening to this podcast called Philosophize This. Um, that is just it's this guy who goes through all the philosophers and he does it in like I don't know little 30 minute chunks and he does it in a way that you don't have to be a philosophy major to understand and it's it's really fascinating because I've always like loved that stuff but I get lost in the writing and I don't quite it doesn't quite connect for me but he does it in a way that like all these really complex philosophical ideas are very digestible Um, so I'm really digging that. Uh, two industry podcasts I listen to, uh, Script Notes, which is a really great screenwriting podcast, and The Director's Cut, which is a DGA uh, podcast. They usually have pretty great um, interviews with filmmakers. And then non-stuff. Oh, nice. WTF, which you told me, <laughs> which I've been calling the Mark Maron podcast. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, work life and uh, how I built this are two um, kind of business-minded uh, screenplays, uh, 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 podcasts. I like to listen to a lot of um, kind of self-help improvement type podcasts and, and like business-related podcasts. Even though I don't run a business, I like hearing philosophies about people that have created million-dollar million businesses and, and uh, their mindset. Sometimes some of that uh-huh. stuff's applicable in just relationships and talking to other people that you have to talk with. Yeah. Uh, what now? Most of those I know, but what was the one? I'm trying to think back to what you said. How I built this? No, before that. Work life. Yeah, what's work life? It's uh, Adam Grant. He's a um, organizational psychologist. I I have heard of him. I, I heard him on Armchair Expert. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I really enjoy. Right now, the the current episode is has Brene Brown on, but he mm. he talks to companies. Um, he's basically he. It's as as I understand it is trying to help people um, be, get better at working with other people and it's human interaction in the same way, you know, if you would go to couples therapy. Um, this, but this is for people that 
have to work together, you know, bosses dealing with employees and things like that. But it's just from a psychological standpoint, it's a really interesting show. But it's not it's not crazy, super deep and hard to understand. It's 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 for your average viewer because I certainly don't know a lot about psychology, but it's it's enjoyable to too. Also just insightful because uh, I like listening to those type of things because when you write characters, you want to say, oh, this this is a big problem for this person. I'll note that for later. We'll have a character do that. So what are you reading? And it doesn't have to be books. It could be other scripts or articles or whatnot. Um, you go first. I have a, we have a stack of eight books about witchcraft that I just <laughs> ordered for, off of Amazon because of a, because of a script we want to write, a spec, uh, our next, uh, something we want to direct. So um, I haven't cracked them yet, but we're about to. This current thing that we're in the middle of writing, we have another stack of eight books on mental health disorders that we're, <laughs> that we're currently reading. So your Amazon recommendations are going crazy all over the place, right? You can probably look at our, uh, look at our purchases and, and figure out in reverse like which script we were writing at the time. I love, um, uh, I love, I read nonfiction. I will read fiction occasionally, but uh, I'm way more into nonfiction. I just feel, I want to feel like I'm learning something like very technical and real. And um, so I, and Lane tends to read more fiction. So it's kind of a good cross between us. Yeah. I am currently reading a book called Herland by Charlotte Perkins Gilman. She wrote the yellow wallpaper, um, that short story that everyone reads in, in high school. Um, but it's a really interesting sci-fi book where these dudes, explorers discover a isolated country that is populated by women and women only. And they have developed parthenogenesis where they can just give virgin birth. So there's no men and they can have babies and they've existed for like a thousand years like this. And so it's just an interesting kind of utopian society that is completely made up of women. So Wait, is, that, is this Wonder Woman? It's kind of a little bit like Wonder Woman, but it, they're not warriors. They don't fight. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because I never, I'm a super casual superhero movie viewer, and I never knew exactly what the reproduction process was like on Themyscira. Uh, like, are they bringing men in, or do they have some magical abilities that... Did, they don't answer that, do they? I don't think that they have babies there. I think that you know, they are immortals, I think is the deal. They're all like goddesses. Yeah, but they grow up. You see her as a child. Yeah, but she is the different. She's like the, she's, I forget what the thing for. But she's running with three other children. Are there three other children? Yeah, the running they're doing in the second movie. I don't know. Somebody out there knows the answer to this. Yeah. (laughs) We're also very casual with the uh, superhero movies. eh? Yeah. Uh, I, I I could care less if they're accurate or not. I just if it's a good movie, I like it. I don't care if it matches the comic book or not. Same, same. Uh, in fact, I don't even really adhere to genres that much, as long as it's a good movie. I I do stay away from horror because I'm a scaredy cat. But um, and then the final thing is, you can ask me a question. Hmm. We should have thought of it. We a, should have thought of a good one. A really good one. <laughs> We're totally unprepared for this. <laughs> no, I think it's fun when it's off the top of your head. Um, well, what are you what are you writing currently? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I'm finally getting back to writing now that um, I'm not doing the script cast like script episodes. So I started re-outlining a pilot. Um, that I have been working on for probably a couple years now, but had been trying to 
I had been trying to make it a half hour comedy and I just don't think it is. I think it's like a 45 minute to an hour dramedy. And uh, so I'm re-outlining it and adding something. Uh, it's about a group of baristas who ha- who all have their own dreams and uh, separate talents. And this is their day job. Um, and so it's, it's, I, I'm the main character is like a wannabe rock star. So I'm using a lot of musical references and I just watched <laughs> some kind of monster, the, uh, Metallica documentary when, from when they made St. Anger and it, it gave me some inspiration. Uh, so that's where I, I have a couple other ideas that are still in my head and not on the page, but yeah. Uh, that's okay. You don't have to have a follow-up. No, I have a lot of other questions for you, but they're all personal because we just haven't talked in a while. <laughs> I was like, don't start being a catch-up call. I know. <laughs> well, yep. we could catch up off mic. Do you guys want to tell everybody where they can find you and also where your um, movies are? And I'll link to them too. So, um, Yeah, um, well, the one we want everyone to go watch is The Devil to Pay, which just came out a couple months ago. It's um, our writing and directing debut, and that is available to rent anywhere you can rent movies. <laughs> That's easy. Well, everywhere as well. I don't think any of them are on streamer. But... Yeah, yeah, I don't think Becky's switched to streamers, and I know Devil to Pay has. Uh, and the very first, our very first uh, thing we had produced, Arabic. yeah, Rattle the Cage, is on Netflix in America right now. So uh, if you don't mind reading subtitles, you can check that out. If you like either I, of the other films of us, you'll like it regardless of the language. It's it's very much in the same zone of those type of things. It's a thriller. Yeah, I, do, I, don't, mind, I don't mind reading some subtitles. Yeah, it's a fun thriller, and we were shocked at how not that different it was from our original script. Uh, it's probably 85% the and same movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's very similar. In fact, they use some of our dialogue in the subtitles, and it's weird because it's a super southern script. So some of the subtitles are like, you're in a heap of trouble. I'm like, that is not what he said. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. And all of these Arabic speaking people are just, they just think that's how we talk. Yeah. (laughs) It is. That's it. Yeah, the original script is incredibly southern. And there was a lot of... uh, there was a lot of, we had to explain all this colloquial stuff. Like, what does this mean? Cause they translated, they did the adaptation. So there was a lot of explaining what would have been normal English, but because it was so Southern, they just didn't understand what, so that was fun. Yeah. Uh, that sounds really fun. Yeah, it was fun. And we were very, we were very happy with how it turned out. It was a lot of fun. Um, but we are on um, Instagram and uh, Facebook, Ruckus and Lane Sky. Yeah, it should be pretty easy to find. You know, follow us yeah. on there. Yeah. But yeah. And I'll put all that in the show notes so it's real easy to access from your phone, from anybody who's listening. Um, and just, you guys, thank you for coming on. You've been my first guests with this new format. And you guys were really helpful at the beginning of Scriptcast. You helped me kind of test out, like, is this working? Like, am I crazy? <laughs> And, um, yeah, so thank you for that. And I just wish you all the best with your, like, spooky, thrilling uh, movies. I can't wait to see them. 
Thank you very much. <laughs> awesome. It was fun. And you can all find me on Instagram and Twitter at the Scriptcast and let me know what you think of the new format. Shout out to Jim Boggs who composed the theme. And as always, thank you for listening. <laughs>